As a reminder, content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investor or potential investors in any Inovia fund. Please note that Inovia and its affiliates may also maintain investments in the companies discussed in this podcast. For more details, visit inovia.vc. Welcome back to Inovia Sessions, your source for insights on tech entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Inovia Capital Principal, Mike McGrath, broadcasting from London. In this episode, we're joined by Colin Kroll, Vice President, North America at Chameleon, the platform where product, marketing, and engineers work together on growth through experimentation. Colin's journey as the first North American hire overseeing a rapidly growing team is a masterclass in understanding the cultural, operational, and strategic nuances of expanding into this region. As someone who's bridged a gap between European headquarters and North American operation, Colin's insights on remote work culture, hiring practices, and market entry strategies are invaluable. I invite you to venture into the story of Chameleon's North American expansion and learn from Colin's first-hand experiences. Let's get started. Before we jump in, can you give me the elevator pitch for Chameleon? Yeah, happy to. Chameleon is a leader in what's known as all-team experimentation. It's where you give a product manager, engineering team, marketers, data analysts, anyone who's involved in like the growth of a company, the A-B testing solutions they need to make a better digital product and ultimately make a better business decision. So we specialize in, in that form of software. Fantastic. And what's your background? How did you come to be associated with the company? By happen chance, uh, I was brought in to help a uh, joint venture between two of the world's largest experimentation agencies. And so they brought me in to help get that joint venture off the ground. And, you know, I, I thought I knew a lot about digital uh, at the time, but uh, I got thrown into the deep waters of experimentation and, and haven't looked back. That's amazing. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think you've done this before in terms of working with European companies elsewhere, right? It's not your first rodeo? Yeah, I think that's what appealed to them about my role is that I had been working with a large Swiss German media house for for 10 years while building their international operations in in Asia Pacific. And so I already had a lot of experience working with these European players and the primary driver of the what was known as the Go Group, uh, that digital consultancy I was telling you about was based in Germany. So I think, it, yeah, my background working with you know European companies certainly helped me out. That's fantastic. And it's great for the you know purpose of this podcast. It's about chameleon, but it's also about just your general experiences kind of working with people on both sides of the pond. I think that's absolutely amazing. So how long have you been with chameleon now? Uh, coming up on three years this January. And then how, you know, what did the North American business look like when you first joined? And then what is it? what does it look like today compared to the headquarters and the European part of the business? Gosh, uh, you know, I was higher number one, so you could almost say that there was really nothing uh, at the time. That's a bit unfair because the corporate office had uh, begun, and again, that's how I got connected to Chameleon, Mm -hmm. was the corporate office had begun to kind of kick the tires on uh, a relationship, a partnership with that agency that was part of the joint venture that was based in Vancouver. And, and for everyone listening, I'm, I'm based uh, near Vancouver in Whistler. So 
that's how I came across them. And the idea at the time was that the agency was going to help sort of become like a beachhead for uh, the expansion into North America. I came in and I said, you know, uh, that makes sense in some ways, but it also really restricts the way that we could build partnerships for North America. You know, for anybody that wants to enter into the U.S., I think you really need to have like three engines working for you. And that's marketing, of course, you know, with the classic marketing, but also content marketing. But then you also need to really think about partnerships, especially in the beginning. And so if you have an alliance with a single agency, it really would prevent you from being open to having relationships with other agencies and other partnerships. So we maintain that friendship and that relationship uh, with that original partner. But well, we definitely wanted to become more autonomous and independent. And so uh, at the time, it was just really a, an agency partnership. And, and then since then, um, you know, now we have uh, over 16 people on the team. So we've definitely begun to flex the team size and, and certainly grow our business share here. Amazing. And is the whole team in North America around sales and customer support? Or have you also hired kind of engineering talent? Yeah, good question. No. Uh, what we started to do was initially, like, we had to really build up the business and, and more importantly, the brand awareness of Chameleon. You know, our CEO is fond of saying that, you know, North America is littered with the bones of great technology. And I think he's right. You know, you could have a really superior product, but this market really rewards brand awareness. And so we wanted to make sure that we invested in marketing. So our first hires were really marketing related. And like I said, uh, classic traditional marketing, making sure you have, you know, all of paid social organic firing. But also we, we wanted to double down on content marketing. And uh, that's where we applied ourselves first. We were a little careful on the sales side. We didn't think at the time that we had so much um, brand awareness that we could just bring in all these you know, excellent sales folks to like go close deals. We needed to build that pipeline up. And then once we had the pipeline, we were going to then bring in the sales folks. So it was really kind of marketing. And then I would say the next teams that we brought on were customer success teams that could service our North American clients in these time zones here. We didn't want to have our North American clients having to wait eight hours to get feedback on on X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah, clearly. And when it came to building that team out, did you import anything from Europe or was it all locally built with trying to re, re, uh, replicate this kind of European flavor? Yeah, well, we definitely knew that we wanted to hire homegrown marketing power here. So I think that's, you know, for anybody listening, just make sure that, you know, you are really mindful of like uh, who you put on for marketing. They really need to be in tune with the bandwidth and the wavelengths of, of the audiences here in North America. But when it came to like what most people refer to as like a solution engineer or a solutions consultant, uh, we refer to them as customer success managers and technical account managers. That was a challenge. You know, it was hard. We'd have to have found people here in North America uh, that also knew our platform and our technology, train them up, and then have them, you know, go, go, go on that team. Instead, we found it much easier to take talent in Europe and export that talent, that customer success talent, to North America. Because we never intended to have the company set up in Canada. It's just that I was already in Vancouver. 
I think some marketing hires initially were out of the, this area, Vancouver area. And then the team, the customer success folks that we, you know, we gave them uh, the option, where do you want to live? Do you, where do you want to work? Uh, it could be anywhere in North yeah. America. And they chose Toronto. Interesting. And so I, we just kind of gravitated yeah. to Canada. It wasn't part of a, a scheme or a plan at the time, but it's, it's working out well. And would you say that you see strategic value in it now? Obviously, there's always the kind of a cost arbitrage to be done there. Anything beyond that? I think you get a lot of talent capability uh, with Canadian hires, but you also certainly benefit from that really easy you know, model of, well, pay in CAD or Canadian dollars and earn in US dollars. So I think anyone that's looking to expand, I, I would certainly have a hard look at all of the talent you can now get in Canada versus just feeling like you've got to hire Americans. We have Americans on our team too. So it's not like we're biased. It's just uh, that proved to be like a, a nice dividend, right? That yeah. we didn't necessarily plan. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. And you've mentioned you know, content marketing and, and creating thought leadership. Obviously, some message might resonate well in France. Do they resonate well in the U.S. or do you have to Americanize the message a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think we really had to do what the heck is the message versus like, uh, you know, translate the message. I, I do want to just make sure that you kind of take a big step backwards and, and make sure that you're happy with the message overall. And then are you happy with that message as it applies to the U.S. market? One of the, or the North American market, you know, I'm really careful. I'm an American, by the way. I, I also just became a Canadian citizen. Congratulations. Thank you. Super proud of that. I'm sensitive to saying North America versus yeah. the States, but, you know, I would say almost all of our clients are U.S. ones. We do have some amazing Canadian brands as well. Yeah, you know, and I think at the time, uh, Chameleon was very, had been very invested in what we call today AI-powered personalization. And there's nothing wrong with AI-powered personalization. It's just personalization can be a rather abstract thing. It can mean lots of different things to different teams. And so we really wanted, and this wasn't me necessarily saying this uh, at first. This is something that even the, the executive group had already kind of figured out, that we wanted to be really clear that Chameleon specialized in experimentation and versus experimentation and personalization. And so... That was the larger message that I knew uh, was going to be helpful. We didn't want to have to like do two things when we were really good at one thing. And so we really doubled down on clarifying that we were the best experimentation platform for, like I said earlier, all teams. And um, that was really helpful. So you really need to get that message right. And then you need to then go and scrub or build out the external uh, content, like your website, the content that goes along with it. Any quick hacks to get started on this? Some of my first days were just about search Apple F, find all personalization, delete or replace <laughs> with, you know, experimentation. Yeah. So uh, those were kind of some early hacks to like get that, you know, that message really crystal clear. But obviously there was a bit more sophistication to it. I think, again, one of the things that was really interesting early on and for anybody that's thinking about this is that I think a lot of European technology companies have an edge on U.S. ones when it comes to privacy and data regulation. And so we really push that point early on. And as a result, we do relatively well with uh, U.S. healthcare companies, U.S. banking companies, anywhere that's heavily regulated and very security forward. Chameleon does well with. 
you know, that message wouldn't necessarily have like resonated with our European audiences. That was just sort of the norm. Mm -hmm. Whereas you can really push and leverage that lever uh, a bit more here in North America. It certainly helped us. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrific. That's amazing advice. And would you say that you have a good two-way street as far as marketing goes? Because for sure there might be things that resonate better in certain regions, but now would France or the Paris office say, okay, we need to also try to see our experimentation as a message works in Europe? You know, I think that's the billion dollar question is how much homogeny can you apply and get away with? For us, it's really important that we all pull in the same direction. So I would say uh, very much a two-way street. Everyone's all about experimentation. And I think also the, the, the executive board has been really clear that the future is North America. You can only see so much growth and be so successful in Europe. And I don't think I'm alone in this is that, again, you're nobody until you're somebody in the States, essentially. And so that was clear from early on. And, and as a result, I think everyone in the company from a leadership perspective is bought into the idea that we really have to figure out what's working in North America. And if we're all going to be successful, we have to pull in that direction. It's actually been a bit of a, a consistent theme in just the podcast episode for the listeners that have listened to a few of them or will listen to others of European founders need the ambition to go to America and they need to think about what assets they have to do so and, and GDPR and also just the, the fact that, you know, the same way Europe is many countries, the US is many different geos and potential industries and types of client that you want to adapt to as well. When it comes to the sales part of the business, so if we think about really kind of the direct customer engagement, one thing, probably some adaptation required there. Can, can you tell me how Chameleon adapted to the, the North American market? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of the sales success that European companies have is due to the fact that you can create these really close relationships with your client. Geography just sort of lends itself to that. And as a result, you see a lot of investment in these customer success teams and close account management. In the U.S., you just don't have that luxury. You need to be everywhere at once, or at least that's important if you, you certainly want to be in these big markets. I would say it was really important for us to invest in the product marketing and let the product uh, lead growth and the sales folks and sales strategy needed to be more about understanding the challenge that the U.S. customer faced and linking the technology to solve that challenge versus and again, I'm not saying that our European counterparts don't do that. I just think they do it on a slower pace and they do it in a way that is more relationship driven. You just don't have that luxury in North America because of the culture. I think Americans are busy folks and they expect the clarity and simplicity and they're not looking to make a personal relationship. They're willing to make quick decisions and they expect your technology to work. And if it doesn't, then they're going to quickly let you know and, and cut you out. Yeah, definitely. That's very true, I think, across, especially in everything B2B, right? The, the Americans are faster to take you on, but also much faster to drop you. Any other factors around go-to-market and, and just also maybe around, you know, how do you face competition in the U.S. that you think European founders should keep in mind? 
I think it's no secret that there's this, um, the idea is that you just raise a ton of capital and you hyper invest and you just basically buy an enormous amount of market share and burn an enormous amount of cash in the process. And as a result, you can scale up from that point, seeking profits, you know, well down the road. You know, I think you got to be mindful that you're going to be up against that mentality here. You know, for us, it was really hard at first because we looked at some of our competitors and, you know, they're just spending an insane amount of money on ads, events, uh, staff, you name it. And you feel like you want to keep up with the Joneses, as we say here, mimicking and imitating them. But again, this is something I noticed about working with European companies is that And personally, I like this, uh, but it's not for everybody. You know, the time horizon and the ROI and the importance of profit or at least sustainable business models is unique for Europe than it is to North Americans. I think North Americans are prepared to like swing for the fences and take bigger risks. And as a result, they, they do tend to get huge rewards. However, you know, for every business that is successful, nine are going to flail and, and die out. And I don't think the European mentality fits that. You know, I think you see a better success rate. You have to keep that in mind. A hundred percent. There's definitely a survivorship bias there, right? Of all behind all the wins, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a big graveyard. It's interesting. I think Europe got a taste of that probably a lot in the last few years. And there is probably like a best of both worlds that can be married. And I know Chameleon does this very well of just, you, you did have competitors that raised stupid amounts of money and might not be in the best of positions today. And you just focus on delivering the best product ultimately, right? That's what you're focused on. Yeah, they're not exclusive, right? So I just think you need to have those weapons in your kit. Um, you need to be able to have deep pockets when you need them, um, but you shouldn't expect if you go toe to toe with, you know, uh, some that American strategy, it may burn out faster because, you know, they're just going to be more entrenched locally here. Right. So we made sure that we had the investments ready to capitalize when we saw traction and where we saw opportunity. And I think that's something you need to have as well. Yeah. Beyond the difference in, let's say, mentalities, like especially around like a growth at all costs versus more reasonable, if we take a look at the potential differences in culture, right? Once again, you've, you've worked for a few different European businesses being yourself based in North America or, or even Asia. What are some of the main culture differences you would have observed between the firms that you have worked at, the culture that you adhere versus the culture that you would see over there? I would say there's a couple things The cultures are, like I said, I I would say that the European mindset is that you're closer to one another and therefore you have these bonds and these relationships in your European markets that you don't, you're not going to have with your new American colleagues and teams. And so everyone wants to be close and it's important to them that they feel like you're uh, part of the team, but at the same time, your European counterparts are kind of busy being in Europe and doing their European things. And I think there can be an attention there that any founder should be aware of is that everyone's going to bring their culture to to the party. Like I remember some of the early friction points, you know, there were light frictions. It was just, you know, they begin a lot of their emails with polite pleasantries, which I think are totally fine. But a lot of Americans will just get straight to it, right? Like, hey, would you, where's that report? Or, hey, next time, would you mind doing this instead of that? And I think, you know, they're not being rude. They're just uh, being themselves. And I just think that's important for anyone to, to keep that in mind. There are going to be cultural quirks. I say let both sides know that. 
Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, communication, right? Communicate, communicate, communicate. That's something that came across again in, in other conversations and just repeating these things. In terms of that communication and the alignment, what are some of the tricks that you've seen work that you know you'd advise operators to think about in, in establishing those links and making sure they're they're tight enough? Yeah. So, I mean, again, like anyone that's coming to look at breaking into the North American market, you really have to solve two problems. That's, you know, I need to win the North American market. And what does that mean for my company? And how am I going to do it? But then you also need to solve the, unless you're going to invest in a headquarters and an office, but you really need to be aware of, you're going to have to build a remote culture, a company with a remote culture early on. And so that just brings a new set of challenges, which I don't think anyone's quite figured out yet. And so I would say that it was really important early on, and I don't think we got this right. Uh, I don't think it blew up in our face, but we didn't have dedicated HR waking up every day thinking about how to make our new American hires, our new Canadian hires, feel like they were part of Chameleon and connected to Chameleon. They were just you know, busy dealing with their local European issues. And then meanwhile, these new teams like in Vancouver and Toronto and Washington, D.C. and all over the states, they don't see each other, right? You know, they're only uh, virtually connected. And as much as those virtual connections are you know, helpful and convenient, they don't create the bonds that I think serve teamwork well. So what do you think is the best way to solve for these remote bonds? I think you need to make sure you've got on-sites there. Like, so we really make a point, for example, at Chameleon now to have, you know, HR really dialed in to like what's happening in North America. We have an internal wiki dedicated to like, how to visit the Paris office, all the different cool holidays or interesting events that are happening across the company. We're kicking off something called a doppelganger program where every new hire finds their equivalent in Europe. And that's just a fun way for them to like get to know other folks that they maybe wouldn't uh, immediately get to know. And at the same time here in North America, what we're also doing is setting up an on-site every spring and fall. So in the fall, we're on the West Coast, and in the uh, spring, we're on the East Coast. And everybody gets together for a short sort of summit. And then I want to credit the Paris office, too, where our company's headquartered. They finance bringing every single staff member in North America to an on-site in France where all of the employees gather every year. So we really get a chance to connect as a whole team three times a year. And I think that's that's a huge investment, but it, it pays huge dividends too. That's amazing. And, and what would be your answer to, you know, some of the people that would say CEOs just need to move. If you want to do the U.S., you need to move. Clearly, you know, three years in, you've been successfully managing without making that happen. What are your thoughts on that? I don't think it's true. I mean, again, it depends, right? It really depends on that CEO. But, you know, our CEO was intending to move to New York City. We had planned to rent out an office in New York and then COVID broke out and nothing could happen, obviously. And so I don't think it's necessary to have the CEO move out. And every time I see the CEO move, it seems to be a bit of a... On the one hand, you could say it's like, you know, we're planting our flag and, and we're committed. On the other hand, it can kind of come off as like a shallow commitment. Like just because the CEO moves to New York doesn't mean that you're in the U.S., right? So I wouldn't say that that's a necessary thing. I would instead really make sure that you're putting the infrastructure in place that you can manage that as CEO. doesn't mean the CEO shouldn't be out here and, and supervise those key hires, certainly at the beginning. But do you need the CEO to move out here? I'm not, I'm not convinced. Yeah, it's, it's not everyone I've talked to that does so. And sometimes it's in different phases as well, right? 
if you're not going to move the CEO, I think what's so interesting about your story is employee number one, also based out of Canada, built the whole team, the whole office, done that a few times already now. What what do you think is the recipe for success in terms of finding the right profile to be that employee number one, right? If I'm a you know European founder thinking about that kind of hire, what do I need to look for in the job description and the interviews? Yeah. Our CEO uh, says that you have to look for a five-legged sheep. This may be a French expression for all I know. (laughs) And I think he's right. It isn't easy to find the right person. You need to find somebody who can obviously juggle multiple priorities and do different kinds of work. Uh, But above all, I'd say you need to find somebody who is a diplomat. I would almost say you're looking for someone who can translate the talents and the technologies that that have made your business so successful in Europe into success here in North America. And and that requires somebody who's sensitive, but at the same time brings a lot of scrutiny. Like, you know, well, why did you, why do you do this? And, and is aware of like maybe the possible uh, drawbacks to a strategy that's worked in Europe. You know, for example, it wouldn't have worked to like brought in all of the relationship account managers uh, here in North America. It doesn't work if you educate so much here in North America. Um, You really need to like skip that point because, and this is, you know, the hard truth, like the North Americans are, I believe, generally ahead of the curve when it comes to technology and the application of technology. And so, you're really looking for somebody who understands the North American market, but can be tactful in yeah. how to translate that European success uh, so that it's successful here. Yeah. In other words, like a good degree of emotional intelligence and on top of the kind of market acumen. We're approaching the end. I- I'm curious, you know, you're almost three years in, so the anniversary is coming soon. As you're looking back, anything you'd advise a founder that you would have done differently or that you would have started sooner, you know, any learnings that are kind of core to your, if you got to do this again? Like I said earlier, I I would have been more cognizant of the challenge of building a remote work culture. That's something you're going to face here in North America than you are in Europe. And so keep your eye on that. Make sure you've got a strategy and a plan on how to deal with that. And then if we could go back in time, I would have put more effort into having corporate office be more mindful of how to uh, nurture the new North American hires, make them feel more connected to the chameleon uh, corporate office. Because if you're just a small team at first, you kind of feel lonely. You're working remotely and you're not feeling like you're part of this larger effort. And so I would have put some more investment into this. And then I've not had a ton of success uh, with recruiters in the past. And so I had a really sort of jaded view of how recruiters could help me. And then I luckily, frankly, just luckily found one that uh, got it right and saved me a lot of time and brought us a lot of great people. And now that I look back on it, I wish I had relied on that kind of talent and expertise. So, you know, we all know this find people who are game changers, find those five-legged sheep, find the right person. It's going to really pay off. And if a recruitment firm can do that for you faster, then I would say take it. Fantastic. Find the five-legged sheep. I want this to be the main takeaway. <laughs> I love this. Uh, thank you so much, Colin. This was this was extremely helpful. I'm sure the listeners are going to have a lot to take away from this, or even if it's people that are themselves looking to be employee number one. It's, it's a very unique position, and it sounds like 
you have a lot of great stuff ahead as well. I'm excited. Thanks for having me on and uh, letting us tell the chameleon story. I'm your host, Mike McGraw, and it's been a pleasure bringing you today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me and see you next time.